On the downside, one of the things that they do with well-being is they're drawn towards things that promote health and well-being that fall into the into the benefits or what I like to call the tick box category. So it's, you know, cycle to work schemes, yoga sessions, you know. And look, they are not the best solution if you have a whole load of psychosocial hazards. That is not going to fix the bad relationships in your in your, in your company. Right. That is not going to fix the lack of autonomy. That is not going to fix the overload that people experience. Our guest today on the show is Matt Smead, a business psychologist. I have to admit, when I saw his title, I had a little bit of a pang of envy. I'm really excited to talk to Matt today, though. He is an expert in the area of well-being, engagement, and resilience in the workplace. These are all areas that we have heard talked about over the past 10, 15, even 20 years. And I'm really excited to dig in deeper with Matt's background and experience in workplaces and with his educational background. I'm really excited to hear an innovative, new, engaging approach. Matt was recognized in 2023 by HR Magazine as one of the most influential HR thinkers of that year. And he's got a master's degree in occupational psychology with a wealth of experience. I'm really, really excited to talk to him today about well-being, engagement, and resilience in the workplace. Tune in. Let's see how it goes. Welcome, Evolve community. Really excited to have you here with us today. And my guest is the one and only Matt Smead from the UK. Hello, Matt. Hey, Carolyn. How's it going? Not too bad. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah. I was saying just before we started, we pressed record. I was moaning about the weather because I'm in the UK. So <laughs> other than being freezing cold in about three layers, I'm I'm good. I'm okay. I've, I, like, when is the weather really good in the UK? Uh, never. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> for about a week in July and that's about it. maybe I was there I know I was there two years ago we were in Scotland and we had sun every single day it was wow, in August yeah. so maybe that's the good yeah. time yeah I'll, I'll be honest you know without talking just about the weather it has been a bit more extreme recently so we've been getting mm. hotter weather not a huge amount of it but hotter weather but right. then yeah I, I, I'm in the north of England so it's typically gray and rainy mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you're tuning in, we're not talking about meteorology today. We are talking about workplace well-being. And Matt, you have a really cool, I, I said in the opening that I'm a little envious of your title, business okay. psychologist. I think I'm a wannabe certified business psychologist. But today we're going to talk about well-being. And I know that that's really an area that you're quite passionate about. And I want to gotta get right to the heart of something right away and love to get your perspective. So I know that there's like this relentless pursuit between productivity and trying to like find workplace like or work-life balance. Yeah. You know, how how can organizations strike a balance between this notion of high performance and well-being? Mm. Getting yeah. right to it right away. Yeah, there you go. Easy question. Yeah. Look, I think my my take on that question is that fundamentally they've got to believe that it's not a balance mm. <laughs> ideally you believe that it, it you, you're not trying to balance one or the other it's not a playoff that they're not mutually exclusive things it's not I can be productive or I can have a good work-life balance and Love it. you know have great a great time outside of work and manage my well-being actually you know it's taking the mindset that I can only be my most productive self certainly in the long term 
if I look after my well-being, right? So not seeing them as mutually exclusive. So I know it's, it's difficult sometimes, and sometimes you're going to have to play off one against the other. So if you talk about productivity as pure, you know, hours worked, we've all done those, you know, those projects where it's run up to the the deadline and we work through the night and sure you're maybe not through the night, but you know, you work the long hours and your well-being suffers as a result. And then maybe it becomes about that word balance, but long-term, long-term it's about shifting people's perception that you can only be your very best in the long-term in a sustainable way. If your well-being is optimized. I love it. You know, I was talking to someone the other day about the beliefs around this big transformation that's going on in their organization. Mm. And, you know, through the conversation, it was kind of clear they were equating burnout with a lot of work or transformation in an organization. And what I'm hearing you say is those two don't have to happen. Like we can still have fun and feel good and have lots of work. Mm. Yeah. Another way of putting it is, Productivity and well-being, I see as outcomes of work. That's one way of thinking. I've, I've not fully thought this through, but let me think it through. <laughs> so I see them as outcomes of work. So, so the things that can contribute to both well-being or productivity in the workplace, you know, your your deadlines and the amount of workload that you have on, and your relationship with your manager, and your levels of control and autonomy, and you know, all this sort of how supported you feel. So there's lots of different things: job security, change. There's lots of different things which will affect you in the workplace. Plus, there's a whole heap of stuff that will affect you outside of the workplace. But essentially, in the workplace, the outcome that you're looking for is is well-being and, and performance and productivity. So you're seeing them as outcomes, not necessarily, you know, how do I, yeah, it's not, how do I manage my well-being day-to-day so that it allows me to be productive? It's like they're both just outcomes of managing some of those pressures effectively. Wow. And so how, so let's, let's hone in on well-being. That's a a hot topic. Talk to us a little bit more than about well-being as an outcome. Like what are the pieces that, that we need to be aware of to create this outcome of well-being? Got you. Got you. So well-being is outcome for an individual pleasure and purpose. That's how I see it. So in the workplace, do I go home or do I start every day with a level of pleasure, i.e. am I excited, enthusiastic, happy, content, those sorts of things to a reasonable extent, you know, to the extent that I would, you would be normally, but also do I have a sense of purpose? Do I feel like what I'm doing is meaningful, worthwhile, I'm contributing to something? And from, from working with kind of hundreds, if not thousands of people over the years, I find that most, well, everybody's a balance between pleasure and purpose, some sort of mix between pleasure and purpose, I should say. Some people are more pleasure driven. They're, they're hedonists. They do. Yep. They, they value positive emotions over purpose. Other people are very purpose driven and it's all about a mission and that's fine. And, you know, pleasure comes a little secondary, but, but everyone has a, some sort of balance between those two. So if you're looking about an outcome, do I go home from work or at night or do I finish the quarter or whatever it may be and feel like I've got a smile on my face, pleasure, mm. and I felt like it was worthwhile? That's that's how I'd boil it down for an individual. For an organization in terms of an outcome, well, well-being as an outcome is correlated, I think, causally, <laughs> but certainly correlated with a whole host of business level out business level metrics. So you know, better retention and reduce sickness absence and better employer brand and all that sort of thing. So if you're getting well-being as an outcome, you should see more positive results in those business metrics. But in terms of how you drive that at an organizational level, 
it's some of those things that I mentioned before. It's giving people autonomy in their roles. It's making sure you've got good leaders and managers who have a positive impact on the people around it. It's making sure that people aren't overloaded, you know, these sorts of things. So, you know, the organization, I think, can create the conditions for somebody to have that sense of pleasure and purpose. And if they have it, it'll probably be good for the business as well. Is that succinct enough? Yeah, no, it it really is. And I think, so what what kind of metrics do you currently see organizations use to measure well-being? (laughs) Lots, (laughs) lots, some better than others. Gosh, that's a good question. So obviously your surveys are your your traditional way of measure. The difficulty with well-being, pleasure and purpose, right, is that it's it's not objectively measurable. Right. You know, I can't necessarily kind of hook you up to a machine that will tell you how happy you are or uh, whether you've got a sense of purpose and you believe what you think you're doing. So it's always going to have an, an, an aspect of, of subjectivity around it. Um, I guess, I, I guess, well, part of my brain says, could it ever be objective? Is there a way of making it objective? And that's where things like... And I don't see a whole whole lot of organizations doing this, but could you use things like heart rate variability data to give you an insight in terms of right. how, you know, for want of a better word, stressed people are, right? Or yeah. whether they're well. But in reality, you know, we're not quite there yet in terms of developing objective measures. It comes down to survey results collected in different ways. It could be your annual survey when not done very well. It could be a more regular way of collecting data. But then... Really, I'd want to see businesses, like I mentioned before, kind of um, having a balanced scorecard of that alongside other business metrics that we know are associated with well-being. You know, right. your retention, your employer brand, your customer feedback, your um, job satisfaction levels. So in <laughs> essence, then, as the well-being metrics, even if they are subjective, as the, as you see those go higher, even if we we're just to look at like how happy are you at work typing, mm-hmm. As those are higher, you should see elevated results as well for customer satisfaction and achieving other business metrics. Is that that's what you're saying? You'd believe so, wouldn't you? You believe so. I, th- I think probably the the relationship between the two is bi-directional. Is that a word? <laughs> you know, the impact on it one another. <laughs> if you work in an organization where everyone's performing at a real high level and you're hitting all the targets and all the rest, that will positively impact your well-being. But at the same time, if your well-being and your pleasure and purpose is there that will allow you to unlock some of those performance benefits as well, potentially. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. You'd expect to see those things at least correlated with one another, yeah. So what's getting in the way of pleasure and purpose then for, for people, do you believe? Um, well, I keep coming back to it. So I keep coming back to those workplace pressures. So a, a, a subject that I'm really quite interested in and passionate about have been for a number of years now is this idea of psychological health and safety so it's not particularly sexy in terms of it they need to think of a better name for it but (laughs) essentially (laughs) it's uh it's what are the workplace what are the factors in the workplace that could contribute to those that pleasure and that purpose those well-being outcomes and i've i've mentioned them already it's relationships it's autonomy it's workload it's that you know we call them psychosocial risks now there's a couple of ways that an organization could look at that I believe that they should be looking at taking prime uh, or as a priority, they should take a risk-based approach. So the priority should be, let's not cause harm. Okay. Mm. And I know that you've written a book on trauma, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. so, so the priority is let's not cause harm. We don't want a workplace where the demands are so high, the relationships are so bad, the autonomy is so low that it causes stress 
or worse, right? So that should be the primary focus. And that's where the link to health and safety comes in, right? You know, so you want to create a safe environment where someone doesn't fall off the ladder. You mm. want to create a psychologically safe environment, which is a little bit different from psychological safety. Yep. <laughs> that Amy Edmondson talks about, but a safe environment in the sense that you're managing those potential hazards, those psychological hazards that people may experience. But then, you know, I am also an advocate of positive psychology in the sense that, you know, if you've got some of those, you know, you're not causing harm, there are a whole load of be positive things you could do as well. So, you know, giving people access to things to promote their well-being, right? And, you know, so I think organizations should... I'm always, sorry, it's turning into the longest answer ever, but I'm, I'm always... No, I love it. Uh, Keep going. Well, so what I was going to say was, you know, organizations, on the downside, one of the things that they do with well-being is they're drawn towards things that promote health and well-being that fall into the into the benefits or what I like to call the tick box category. So it's, you know, cycle to work schemes, yoga sessions, you know. And look, they are not the best solution if you have a whole load of psychosocial hazards. That is not going to fix the bad relationships in your in your, in your company. Right. That is not going to fix the lack of autonomy. That is not going to fix the overload that people experience. But back to my original point, if you've, if you've got a handle on some of those hazards, why not offer some of those benefits? Because that's the positive psychology bit, right? That's the almost like the added, the added extra. That's what takes someone from a a seven out of 10 to a nine out of 10, because they feel right. not only are they not stressed and they like their manager and they've got some autonomy, but also they did a yoga session before they left work and they really enjoyed it. So it takes mm. that pleasure up an extra notch. And I think organizations could do both. I mean, probably depends on their starting point and their maturity. Some organizations I think should pretty much, if I'm being candid, forget about the benefits for a bit and sort out <laughs> sort out the hazards. But if you get to a point where you're mature enough, you should be looking at both, right? You should be yeah. monitoring the hazards, but also providing access to some of those benefits as well. Yeah. And I'm guessing when you say benefits, you don't mean like benefits that we get like as part of our, 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 our payroll type thing. You're talking about benefits like yoga at lunchtime or massages yeah. on Tuesdays. Yeah. yeah. I'm talking about things that you wouldn't typically associate with with work right. right you'd more typically associate with with traditional views of well-being right you know so yeah. And I, I, I mean, I learned this from you. I believe like what you're talking about there, that's, that's based off of that World Health Organization model, right? Yeah. The mental health at yeah. work where they talked yeah. about promoting, supporting, preventing and protecting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found that, I found that really. It was one of those moments where I was like, oh, wow, I think the more the world needs to know about this or just to, it just to me, it just gave some structure that I, I am able to articulate with more clarity to, you know, to HR leaders when I talk about this. So, you know, the cycle, I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit more about the psychosocial risks. Yes. What's the difference between a psychosocial risk and psychological health and safety? Well, so I think psychosocial risks are an inherent part of psychological health and safety. So, so the way that I, the way that, I understand it. Psychological health and safety, in a nutshell, is can you look at psych psychological risk in the same way that you would do physical health and safety? So if you're managing physical health and safety in your business, and I'm going to show my lack of knowledge here in terms of I am not a health and safety professional, but my understanding is that you risk assess, right? So you say you go to a building site where you've got people working and you say, right, what are the things that could cause people harm? 
are we going to have to go up a ladder at some point? Is somebody yeah. holding some, you know, handling some hazardous materials? You know, are they working at height? This sort of thing. Off the back of that, you calculate risk. So you say, how likely is it someone falls off that ladder? And if they did, how hurt would they get? Mm. And based on all that information, you put control measures in place. And your control measures are avoid, mitigate, and respond. So avoid would be, do we need to go up the ladder in the first place? Or could we just stay on the ground? Yeah. It may be that we have to go up the ladder because we're going to put a new roof on this house, right? So, But we're going to mitigate the risk. Where's your PPE? So your hard hat or your harness or your proper training and then finally you need things in place to respond so you know inevitably some of those may fail someone might fall off the ladder but you know immediately where's my first aider where's the nearest hospital i can deal with that that risk gotcha psychological well-being people don't or organizations don't do that at all <laughs> well that's a bit harsh <laughs> but could they it's not the same- it's not in the muscle it's not in the no. it's not a muscle that they flex yet could you take the same approach so could you say what are the potential hazards out here so if you think about now i think about my job or you think about your job what are the things that could cause me psychological harm well it might be this project I've got that I can see the deadline is looming and it is going to be close. It could be that relationship I have with a colleague or a manager, you know, that has the potential to cause me psychological harm. And we're talking, you know, stress and anxiety may be worse. Then you calculate risk. How likely is that to be a problem? And if it did show up, how would it show up in me? And then you put control measures in place. So, you know, so could I avoid it? Could I never speak to that manager again? (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) Could I mitigate against it? Could I improve the relationship somehow and respond? Like what happens if that relationship breaks down to the extent where it is negatively affecting me? Who, Who can I go to for help? Like who can I go to for support? So back to your original question. That's, that's the, that's the model of psych, psychological health and safety and where the psychosocial risk fits in. Are they other factors? I I think this is interesting, actually. I was speaking about this yesterday, and I don't have a clear answer on it. I think it could either be that the psychosocial risks are, they could be hazards. So, you know, workload, relationships, control, whatnot, job security or insecurity. They could be hazards themselves. I also think they could be risk factors. They could amplify hazards. Mm. So, you know, imagine you've got someone doing a safety conscious role. And they do have to go up the ladder, right? Some of those psychosocial risks might actually amplify the chance of them having an accident. Right. If you're walking up that ladder and you've got all your physical PPE on, you've got your harness and your hat hat and all the rest of it, but you feel like you're being bullied and you've worked three back-to-back long shifts because you've got this looming deadline and, you know, that sort of thing you may be more likely to fall off the ladder. because Hence the amplif- amplifier. Yeah, yeah the, psycho- the psychosocial risk may amplify. So they, they could be hazards themselves. They could also be amplifiers, I think. So that's kind of where they fit into the model in my head. So what comes up for me, I, 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 love, I love this concept, and I think, I think it's going to be a hard one for mm. leaders to wrestle with. Yeah. Balanced workload, to mm. me, is a risk. It's an amplifier and... I would love to get your perspective on how can we reposition that or reframe it or like help out with it? Because that is one of the, you know, in Canada, we have the national standard for psychological health and safety. There's 13 risk factors and balanced workload being one of them. Mm. And that is, in my experience, the elephant in the room. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I was. Do you know? What? I was before you said that. I was going to use that exact same phrase. Absolutely, because yeah. they play around the edges, right? You almost. The un- unfortunate thing is, people say, "Well, there's nothing we can do about that." You know, the work exactly. Keeps the work keeps coming. The demands are always going to be there. So let's focus on better relationships and better management, and you know, giving people better job security or pay them more or you know something like this, which yep. you know, reasonable ways certainly that's that's a better way i think of helping someone to deal with that workload by providing more autonomy by providing better relationships in the team than giving them a yoga session right and by the way i'd just like to preface all this by saying i've got nothing against yoga and i love a bit of yoga (laughs) but you know what i mean you know what i mean you are taking more of a preventative approach but you're right there's still this big elephant in the corner of the room that is the workload that's not going anywhere so you asking for my 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 solution to it? Well, I'm asking you your thoughts. I mean, gosh, if you had a solution, you'd be a bajillionaire, right? Yeah, like everyone would want it. My my thoughts, my thoughts are that often I find it needs to be tackled at a very senior level. So, you know, you work with teams, and I'm sure you, you're the same. You work with teams, and they feel like the workload is out of their hands because it's something that was decided in a boardroom in an ivory tower three months ago or longer, you know, by a set of execs who don't know what my job is. Right. And you know, there's, 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 there's truth in that. Absolutely. So, well, looking at it the other way, there is some truth in the sense that I do feel sometimes people can fall into this sense of learned helplessness and, Mm. you know, you got so used to, to, to delivering, under such high demands that that becomes an expectation and even like a badge of honor. So there is something here about individuals and teams, you know, willingness to say no, you know, like, no, we can't actually do that and not seeing it as a, as a sign of weakness and having a bit more openness and honesty around that. But at the same time, you know, senior level within the organization, you've got to work. So the, the, the question is whether, if you're sat around a boardroom, whether you're willing to potentially take a dip in productivity and performance and profit in the short term, I would expect it to be in the short term, so that you can recalibrate some of those demands. And I guess you'd only do that if you were firmly bought into the belief that because long term, that will allow us to be more productive and (laughs) higher performing and make more profit. But it is a, you know, there probably, there will be a, a short, I don't know your thoughts, but there will be a short-term effect, won't there? So if you, if you just, oh, totally if you just, so, so for example, you know, you're a, you're a retail organization or any organization, you're going to take on a big new project and the project is worth X amount of tens of hundreds of thousands of pounds. You could just turn that down. <laughs> you could just say, no, yeah. we're at hundred percent capacity. We can't do that. And, and it's gone because we want to, yeah, because we want to, to, for our people to be well and we know that we can't they can't take that on it's a very difficult decision to make though right because you feel like you're missing out you feel like you're losing that money yeah i'm a bit lost with this answer but i think i think the point is that the those conversations need to happen at a senior level and often they don't often they don't well shifted down the line and i think I think the, the, you know, senior leaders are under tremendous amount of pressure, right? Mm-hmm. You have to perform if it's a public company or sorry, a private company, you have to perform and, you know, make the profits. And that's like, that's a really intense pressure to mm-hmm. be under. So to turn down business or contracts isn't really acceptable. Mm-hmm. You have to have mm-hmm. some pretty strong evidence for that to be 
acceptable. So you've got that pressure, which really is, is in my mind, it's a scarcity mindset. We can never have enough. We have to keep getting more. We have to keep getting more. And really, you know, what you're talking about, and I agree with you. I think if, if we did slow down a little bit to sort of reset Mm -hmm. and set some parameters, I I do think in the long run, you'd have, you've had, would have higher productivity. I just don't know collectively how, it could happen. Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes I say that sort of thing, and it, I, I wonder whether it makes me sound like anti-capitalist. You know, like capitalism's all about just sell more stuff and make more money and build more things. But I don't think it is because my belief is that if people's well-being's optimized, and you're seeing well-being as you know positive outcomes in terms of well-being, it helps you be more productive and make more things and make more money. So it's a complete, I guess, shift in mindset. And, and that, you know, it's never going to be perfect. The other thing is, I, th- I think you're right, something that you said before or alluded to, you know, very rarely have I come across, if ever, have I come across a senior leadership team who maliciously sit around a boardroom and right. say, how do we stress our team out? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, or, yeah. or how do we make it a living hell to work in this, in this business? You know, they're not maliciously doing it often it comes down to the pressures that you've just described there you know they're under a level of pressure themselves and that that filters down into the organization I don't know have you also seen this buffering as well that people talk about so I come across this a lot so all levels of a business people would describe themselves as buffering the pressure yes or the the level below (laughs) yeah I as a manager need to be really stressed out so that my team don't feel all those things and I've just thought about this recently, but I'm not sure I'm buying that anymore. <laughs> I think that it. Well, I think I yeah. think it's antiquated. I think it it you know I want to come back to your comment about capitalism. I don't think it's anti-capitalistic, but I think we have like we're way too far. Like we're letting the system mm-hmm. drive our behaviors at all costs, and mm-hmm. I think there's an opportunity to bring a little bit more balance. Yeah. I think we can make. And, you know, some people listening might think, oh, you're out to lunch, you're being too idealistic. I think I think we have to find a different solution because people are burnt out, worn out, and the quality of work gets like takes a hit. Doesn't matter how brilliant or amazing you are, Mm -hmm. the quality of work is taking a hit. And I think that's where we're at. You know, how many times have you heard people say, oh, this isn't what it used to be. This product isn't what it used to be, or I'm not getting this on time, or the service just isn't right, because we're all fried. We're all burnt out. Mm -hmm. So we have to find a bit more of a balance. Yeah, yeah. I I wonder sometimes whether it's that, you know, human beings, we prioritize instant gratification as well, you know? So it is a very difficult decision to, to, you know, sit there in a boardroom and say, do we take that £100,000 project, which will hit our account in 30 days, or do we turn that down, get our ducks in a row, deliver the projects that we have because we know that will make our brand stronger and da da da. So in a year's time, we will have a million pound contract hits the accounts rather than a hundred thousand. But do you see what I mean? So that you, you yeah. kind of playing the long game. So that's why I'm saying it's not anti-capitalism because you're still you're still driven by profit, but you just yep. feel like the way of getting there and a more effective way of getting there is through in a sustainable way. But it's very well, very difficult to do, right? Because it's human beings. I, I want to eat the I want to eat the chocolate bar rather than, yep. you know, to, to go to the gym and then in a year's time that might pay off. Well, and you're <laughs> measured by bar. your you're <laughs> measured by your the results you can deliver right away, not three oh, years absolutely. down the road. Absolutely. So, absolutely. So, what's the account at? Like, what could you know? I to me, I'm going to come back to the system 
and mm-hmm. understanding the system within which we work, mm-hmm. I think really can help individuals move away from this martyrship, like you were talking about the buffering. Oh, I have to protect my people. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about what could individuals do or leaders do? And then what could organizations do to help bring this notion of health, safety and well-being to a new level in their organization? Yeah. So so individuals, it probably comes down to confusingly psychological safety, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so you're Amy Edmondson, psychological safety. Can I bring my whole self to work? Can I put my hand up if I'm really struggling? Can I ask a stupid question? Can I try something out a little bit different? So like I say, it's very confusing because you say the word psychological health and safety and a lot of people think of psychological safety, very different things, but they are linked to one another because if you have that level of psychological safety, as Amy Edmondson and others would describe it, that may allow people to say no or say, you know, or have a proper conversation about how that's going to impact on them rather than just saying yes and then moaning about it to their colleagues behind closed doors. So you know, the psychological safety, and that probably is driven by, you know, every every member of a team, but also the, the, the leader, the line manager has a huge impact on that. So there's yep. something there about creating that environment where people can have honest conversations about this stuff. I, I just want to kind of yeah, chime yeah. in there for a second. I think there's an opportunity for that work to evolve a bit more because what isn't addressed in the the, the psych health and safety um, construct, as I've seen it, is this notion of power and privilege. These silent impact or these these silent things that that are going to impact psych health and safety. So I'm excited to hear where that goes now and and how those things can be integrated and talked about more overtly because i have seen a lot of folks yeah we've got a psychologically health and safety or psychological health and safe environment and you know they they are all the same color and they are all the same age and and so i think there's an opportunity to expand Hmm. what we know about psychological health and safety and 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 be more broad with our our understanding. Agreed, agreed, agreed. I always think to myself, the, the key is when when does this shift actually happen? You know, because in those moments where I start to have existential crises and think that nothing that I'm doing makes any sorts of difference, which probably happens on a weekly basis. No, not quite. But when I have those moments, it's probably when I hear things that I was hearing 15 years ago, <laughs> right. you know, about like people will, people will get this soon. Like, you know, they won't be able to ignore well-being is an important aspect of the, of the the workforce and you know those organizations that prioritize well-being will outperform those who don't and the data seems to suggest that's true by the way there's some amazing research coming out of the university of oxford for example the the group there and the university of if you get a chance have a look at that research so the data's there it shows it you know that there is a very strong business case for well-being alongside performance but you sit in a room with leaders and you you sit in a room with individual team members and it's still not quite flowed through. So where is there a tipping point? <laughs> is there a tipping point? And yeah. I, I, I heard 15 years ago, probably, that this tipping point would come generationally, you know, so people yep. come in. And, and I think that is happening. It's just slow, though, right? You know, so I, I spoke to a recruitment professional recently. So they own a recruitment business in London. And they said, really interestingly, they said that they were trying to fill a position for um, a corporate firm in the city. So I think it was a law firm. And this law, this particular law firm has got a very bad reputation for long working hours, you know, 
you're basically selling your soul, right? You pay very well, but you yep. it's going to be hard. And they are finding it more difficult than ever to recruit new graduates into positions. So previously it was, we all kind of knew that, but we're still going to do it. We're, we're still just going to do it. Whereas they were describing that they feel that they're re- they have actually reached a point where they're struggling to get the level of, you know, the, the amount of and the level of, recru- of of graduates that they want to because people are saying that's not worth it. You know, I'd rather earn 20,000 less and not have a heart attack at 30, right? You know, I value right. my well-being more than I value money. I always, I, I, also, I, I think linked to that, I don't know if this is the same globally, but I think maybe in the UK that's partly because I'm never going to be able to buy a house anyway because they cost. Oh over. no, that's the same here. It's totally. In fact, I read an article about that as well. Is that this next generation is like I don't even I don't even need to buy a house. Yeah. It's too much of a liability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to rent. But but, it, but it's almost I don't need the money. I'm not saying they don't want money, but like I don't need the money because can't afford death in anyway. So, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. Exactly. The table, so I'd rather just be happy, right? And I wonder whether. So it was just sorry. Last thing on that recruitment people that I spoke to, they went back to that company and said, "Look, we're struggling." all the rest of it talks to them about amending the the job description and they said can you put an extra ten thousand pounds on the salary that this was the, the law firm suggestion so they just wanted to put an extra 10 grand that sort it out so they through gritted teeth they did and it didn't help and it didn't help they they still yeah. wouldn't have the same struggle so maybe maybe we're reaching some point yeah where... i i agree with you yeah, yeah i think i do think this in, so that that would be the gen z i i do think that they are challenging these old beliefs and structures that you know you and i would have have grown up in and you just you just work hard i think this is where i think the quality conversation is going to come in mm. where Okay, you can work less and, and I, I, I really do. I think there's, I think there's a balance we need to find. Mm-hmm. And I haven't, how do I describe this? I'm going to need to bring my kids into this. They don't usually listen to this podcast, but <laughs> you know, I find their expectation of service levels is up here. Mm-hmm. But when I look at their, their own work ethic, okay, you know, they'll, they'll work hard enough. Mm-hmm. But still, they're still like not putting everything into it. Mm -hmm. And so how, if I come back to purpose and pleasure, you're kind of like going to work to just do something. And the purpose doesn't seem to have the same drive for them. Mm -hmm. So I guess what I'm trying to say in a roundabout way is, and maybe it's, it's something I need to challenge myself in, is if you aren't working hard or long, are you being driven by purpose? Or are you just kind of being driven by pleasure oh, mm. that's interesting although uh, yeah if i was going to play devil's advocate to some of that i would argue that every generation thinks the previous generation uh, or the next generation True. are lazy <laughs> you're lazy uh, you know compared to your yeah, parents know, and true. grandparents and 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 is that true? I don't. I don't ever know whether that is true. I mean, we probably are a little lazier than, <laughs> than you know, like. Well, we're different. We've had different technology, so yeah, yeah. I would. I, I hear. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, though. Maybe, maybe that. Maybe and and it's not quite so much. As, but maybe it comes down to the psychological contract as well. You know, there's two. Yep. It takes two to tango. This isn't just a, a load of you know lazy grads coming into the workplace who don't really want to. Yep. work hard it, you know they're coming into a workforce and then in, into, into a set of employers that in their eyes 
don't value loyalty anymore. <laughs> you know, there's all sorts of things like that. So absolutely. So there's there's certain things which just it's beggar's belief that it even still goes on. You know, the extent the extent that that, that companies don't value loyalty and are quite happy to lose people and then spend so much money and time and effort trying to re-recruit and then moaning about how hard that is. You know, you've you, you, not that it all comes down to money, but you know, I will through I'm a I own a company and I will through gritted teeth give someone a cost of living increase in their wage, you know, that equates to a few thousand pounds or dollars. And they've got to go on a performance plan to be able to achieve that and prove that they've ticked all these boxes, da 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 da. But if they left and I'm recruiting and I'm putting the advert out and I'm deciding what the salary is, is it thirty five or forty or forty five or fifty? Like you know, I'm just I'm just chucking numbers around. Mm. So I, so they they seemingly don't. They <laughs> organizations sometimes seemingly don't value loyalty. So why should I? You know, why should I? I totally yeah, totally agree. Yeah. It's it's really. And, you know, we're working, we're living to work instead of working to live. Mm. Right. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah. There are some interesting other ways that before I start, because I feel like I'm getting sucked into like a dystopian view of things. Like, before, <laughs> um, th There are other, you know, there are other, like, let's look at this completely differently. I came across a, a, a company recently, a consultancy firm in Europe, mainland Europe, and they're doing something really interesting. I don't know whether it's public or not yet, but... If it is, it's, it's, it's really interesting where they, they have something that called slash workers or split workers. And What's a slash that? worker means that your, your contract with your employer. So with this consultancy firm is four days a week. And on your one day that you're not contracted, you are actively encouraged to have a side hustle. So you are actively encouraged to have another wow. job. So what they're saying there is, look, we, we actually think that we're going to get the best out of people if they're doing something that brings them a real sense of purpose on that one out of the five days, right? And they're willing to take the risk that some of those side hustles will take off and people will leave, you know? Someone will, some of those people, I'm sure, I don't know exactly, but I'm sure their side hustle will take off and they'll say, I like doing that better than my day job, so I'm just going to do my my side hustle. But but they're willing to take that risk because it's it's for for, for every one of one or two of those people that they lose the 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 you know the goodwill that they get from the other people who end up staying but yep. they have more autonomy over their working lives and more purpose around their working lives and it's a 4-day work week which i know there's more and more evidence yeah. showing that that actually gives you higher levels of productivity absolutely absolutely so so what well, th that's just one example and i don't know whether that's the solution but you know it feels to me like maybe we just need to think of like more innovative ways which comes back yep. to your original question how do we how do we sort demands out <laughs> there probably yeah. is no i i wish i could just give you that answer now but what i where i do think the answer lies is with the people who are affected by those long workloads. So we need to empower people to be able to innovate and create potentially new ways of working, which will be beneficial for the individual and the organization alike. So what comes to mind for that is different decision-making, mm. right? And not top-down. And have you ever, ever done any work with folks in the Teal community or in Holacracy or any of those sort of models? That sounds interesting though. No, tell me more. Yeah, it's, I mean, I don't, I, I know of it. I know a little bit about it, but I haven't worked in an organization that, that uses those models. Mm. 
But what they really do is they focus on distributing the decision making. Mm, And with that comes autonomy. And it also comes with like radical accountability or radical responsibility because, you know, now, now you have to be accountable for those decisions. And I think that that's a a hard jump for people as much as we don't like being told what to do Mm. when we are given the accountability or responsibility to make some of these decisions Mm. like, holy shit, what? I don't want to do the wrong thing. So it's, 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 you know, there's a shift, there's a shift here that I think really is going to help our organizations. And ultimately we all individually, I believe, play a role mm-hmm. and and have to really understand what it is we're asking for. Yeah. It can be a lot easier to just wait till the person above me oh. tells me what I need to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's innovation, right? It's innovation. Is yeah. Sometimes you feel like the workplace is the only thing that doesn't innovate. <laughs> you know, we're yeah. still we're still not quite because we a lot of remote remote working, but we're still just turning up to office blocks and sitting in seats with computers and you know has that changed in 50 years 100 years and uh, the, and then we've got other aspects which are moving seemingly at the speed of light you know in terms of innovation so it's so true isn't it like what's going on in the UK with the whole return to work yeah. and the hybrid and well. <laughs> where are you getting your work done yeah well, where's that well, well it's tricky isn't it it's a it's a real hot topic at the moment you know uh, for, for, I'm, I'm sure you've had the same from the people that you work with there are as many people who absolutely love working from home and saw COVID as a written not COVID is a good thing I would never say that but you know what I mean the, the, yeah the, the, the an opportunity opportunity that's a better way of putting it you get as many people who feel like that as would absolutely desperate to come back in on day one and wanted to be back in the office and you know i still get it you know because we work in the field of well-being or i work in the field of well-being and how am i meant to know you know you're saying that i need to look after the well-being of my team that is even more difficult when i don't get to see them and when i do on a team's meeting the camera's off and i can't you know how am i meant to have a deep meaningful conversation now, I would see that all as just a challenge. Like, that's a challenge that we can overcome. But it is an added layer of complexity. But at the moment, organizations, they're, they're, they're trying to wrap their heads around that, right? You know, in terms of how we... Yeah. We've lost all our environmental cues that we used to have in terms of, yeah, just just the safety of being in the office and all working together. How do we make sure that we don't exclude people now? How do we make sure that we're using technology effectively, all this sort of thing? And then there's really interesting stuff. Sorry, just a bit of a tangent in terms of money and where are people based? I was was talking to a HR professional the other day, and they were saying that they have a case in their business where somebody is earning, I don't know if you have it where you're based. We have like London waiting, so you get a much higher wage right than you do in in well, not a much higher wage there is a, 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 a yeah a, an extra, well the market the market you you need to have higher wages in certain markets exactly. to There's an extra stay slab of money put yeah. on top but what they found out was some people were getting that london waiting wage the additional wage but they'd relocated to the north of england mm. right <laughs> so they didn't live yeah. in london so they were they were in the shopping in the cheap shops although i live in the north of england it's not that cheap <laughs> they were shopping in the cheap they were shopping in the cheap shops but they were earning the london wages um, yeah. and Gosh, that blew my mind. I was like, what do you do about that? Do you say they can't? Do you bring their wage down? <laughs> like That's not going to go down very well. That yeah. is hard. That is hard. Yeah. I mean, COVID, what happened there is it, it kind of, it, the genie's out of the bottle, right? Mm-hmm. Like we can do work differently. We, we know that. Yeah. 
to your point, it's different there. There it's, it's, there's more complexities to it for sure. That is more work, more cognitive load to try and figure out. And we're already feeling overworked as, you know, to begin with. And then we had to catch up because of COVID, right? And navigate through all of that. So I'm really curious to see what it's going to be like 10 years from now too. Yeah, me too. Because we'll have this next generation who will be, you know, moving up in terms of roles and I'll say seniority. And we're going to have more technology. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, with that stronger focus on well-being, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I hope maybe this is wishful thinking. I, I am going to hope that organizations are going to feel less driven to force or mandate people back into the mm-hmm. office because they've been able to find a new way to exist in this reality. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm with you. I, I don't think organizations, if I was going to give out dollar advice, unsolicited advice, I don't think they should mandate it. Right. Yeah. You know, I think, I think, look, let's look at, let's, let's, let's admit that we don't work online as a group quite so well as we do in person and that we need yep. to find ways to overcome that. You know, maybe it's a day a week or maybe it's a, you know, something that we do online, but we do in a different way. But, you know, you need to be back in on three, three out of the five days. I, I don't, I don't yeah. see how that's, that can ever be the answer, really. The, the difficulty and the reason why people do it is because when you scale anything up to more than probably 150 people, how do you make it fair? Yeah. <laughs> you know, how do you make yeah. it fair? That's easy when I'm managing a team of 20 people and my organization totals 20. Easy. I can have 20 separate conversations. I can work out how people really like to work. I can say that person's going to be in three days, that person two days. How the hell do I do that when it's ten thousand? <laughs> how the how do I do that when it's ten thousand people? Yeah, and keep it fair. Uh, so right. then, so then, what you do is you say that's too difficult. So everyone's got to be in on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday because that's just yep. easier. That's easier. Uh, but but then it it causes all sorts of problems, right? Well, now we're back to like efficiency and productivity being sort of the driver versus well-being. And, I, you know, it's interesting. I think this, this, our entire conversation, it's, it's, it's a real balance isn't the right word. It's, it's, it's going to be an ongoing skill mm. to balance those two things. And I think that it's helpful for us as leaders to understand that there are different levers, there are different forces at play. Mm-hmm. And that's going to change as you go through different parts of your life and different parts of the organizational rhythm yeah. and to learn how to navigate through them. Yeah. 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 But then, how would you wrap up our conversation, Matt? I was just going to say, but then something really innovative might come along and all this is a moot point, you know? <laughs> AI just does our jobs for us and we turn into a wall situation where we just all sit around watching TV all day. Perhaps not that far, but, you know, like the gig economy, that was one that That's true. recently, you know, maybe the workforce completely changes in a way that we don't see coming. Maybe you and I work up, wake up every single morning and check our phones like an Uber driver and select the bits of work we want to do that day. We're not tied to any organization. No one's tied to oh. an organization. We're all just... 
Right. Well, that's a great that's a great way to end the podcast, yeah. Matt. To throw that in there, like whew, it could all. But and and hey, you know what? Like, yeah. who would have thought? Like, how many twenty five, thirty years ago when I started in the workplace that I could do everything on this little well, thing? Yeah. And that you'd be doing Teams calls and podcasts online. Oh, yeah, yeah, It'd blow your mind. Yeah, yeah. So maybe there'll be. Well, I always knew I'd like to talk, so I'm really not surprised <laughs> I'm doing something that I like to talk with. But Matt, how would you wrap up? I just sort of your insight, or maybe a little bit of advice. This will be solicited advice for anybody listening who is in this leadership role how can they what is advice for them around health safety and well-being for them and for their teams and for their organization yeah so so my 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 thought would be that despite the fact that points during this conversation i don't i i don't have all the answers unfortunately so i don't have all the answers if i could just tell you here's three things do these three things and suddenly you know, everyone, no one's stressed and the well-being of everybody is optimized. I'd just tell you them. <laughs> I'd tell you them. I don't think they necessarily exist in that form. I think if I was going to give one piece of advice, it would be, can you co-create that within your organization? So, you know, I'm a big advocate of something called design thinking, human-centered design thinking. Yeah. And really it's taking what we call a participative approach. So these are all really complex issues and, you know, from what's the mindset of our board members and profit versus well-being and all that sort of right down to how long is an individual working every single day and have they got a proper work you know workspace like this is all really complex these problems are not going to be solved by senior leaders sitting in a dark room around a boardroom working it out themselves or by the, by the by the way listening to experts like me telling them what they should do and reading the latest book about, you know, what they should do as an organization and, and swallowing that and just implementing it. I, I think they need to open their ears and their eyes and go out and speak to people and co-create solutions with the workforce. Mm. Not going to, the, the last thing I would say, sorry, is that it's not going to work first time either. If they're expecting to go out into the workforce speak to people, listen to them and work out the perfect solution first time, that's wrong as well. You're going to mess it up. You're going to mess it up. You're going to, you're going to go in with the best of intentions to improve people's well-being, productivity, performance, all that sort of thing. And you're going to implement something related to anything that we talked about today and it's not going to work. It's going to, it's going to have the reverse effect. It's going to be a horrible failure. But it's then how do you, back to your point about resilience, like how do you adapt? How do you adapt? Right. So it's a bit of a long-winded way, but I, I think, yeah, not trying to work it out themselves. <laughs> Speak to people, yeah. listen to people, and uh, co-create solutions with your workforce is what I would say. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you, Matt, for coming on on the show. Okay. But before we cut you loose here, I ask all my guests three questions. Okay. And, and I'm just realizing I don't think you know those questions. No. <laughs> all right. Well, are you are you game to to hear what they are and answer? Go. You can you can pass if you would like. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. give you that. So these have to do with self-awareness, self-regulation, and co-regulation. Those are three elements in my Evolve model that I think help leaders sort of stay connected to three main areas that can impact their leadership. So the first question is about self-awareness. And is there an anecdote or a lesson that you learned that really elevated your sense of awareness where you learned something about yourself that you didn't know? Oh gosh. 
whatever you want to share in short, we don't have another 50 minutes. No, I know. I know. <laughs> Something that, I, that, that happened. A moment, a moment in time yeah. or a story where you had a real lesson in that moment about self-awareness. Kind of like a holy shit. I didn't know that I had that impact moment. Well, well, I have. To, I, if I was going to go for a positive, I'm sure there's been ones where I've I've realised I'm not as perfect as I think I am. <laughs> but yeah, there have been moments where. Uh, so, so I, I I work with people at all different levels of the organisation, and sometimes, if I'm being honest, I find it a little more difficult sometimes to talk about things like well-being with, for example, frontline employees. Sometimes within certain organisations, because here's this psychologist talking about you know, well-being and pleasure and purpose. And I just want to get on with the job, right? And am I connecting right. with them? I, this goes back a few years. I was working with a, a, an organization, a business. And these these guys that came into the room, they were manual workers, right? So they were manual workers. And we had this guy and they'd been, they didn't want to be there. Let's be honest. They didn't want to be there. And I thought, is this having the impact I want it to have? And this guy at the end put his hand up and he said in front of everybody, he said, do you know what, Matt? This is the end of the session. Do you know what, Matt? I thought that was going to be absolute bullshit, but it was actually all right. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I'll take that. I'll stick it on my CV. So, yeah, the fact that, yeah, it's not complete bullshit. <laughs> and that it does resonate with people at all levels of an organization. Uh, yeah, kind of stuck with me. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Thank you. So the second one has to do with a practice or a ritual that, really helps you either return to a calmer, more regulated place or, or keeps you in, in that place. But basically, yeah, like a practice or a ritual. Yeah. That helps your nervous system. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, mine's really boring. I, I go outside. <laughs> I know you probably heard that. Why is that boring? Well, What's boring about well, that? I want to think of something really innovative, right? I want to be able to like, you know, I go out on my, uh, you know, Segway scooter or something like that. Do they still exist? No, probably not. <laughs> but no, no, honestly, it's just going outside. So I used to run a lot, not so much now because I keep getting injured, but I certainly walk and just, just uh, the amount of times I have been banging my head against the table trying to work something out and spinning in circles. And I just think I can't do this anymore. And I go for a short walk, even in the rain, <laughs> like literally five minutes. And I am running back to my house, to my desk, if I'm working home, mm. because I've worked it out when I was on the walk. And when I'm not trying to think about it, right? When I'm not trying right. to think about it, then my brain just kind of catches up with itself. Okay. And I like to think of myself, I think, as, as quite creative. And that's where my most creative ideas come from some of them are terrible but so if we if, if people see you out out walking through your your town or what is it a village a town i don't know and i think yeah. of the uk i think of villages i don't know why yeah. um, it's a village yeah, yeah i live in a village so if, if they see you out walking around there's like creativity like swirling uh, around you yeah sometimes yeah I'm just That's listening cool. to football podcasts but you know <laughs> all right so last question this might be the most difficult one right maybe maybe not mm. what is a song or genre of music that helps you feel connected to something bigger than yourself oh no oh no you can't ask me that question so uh, again i'm look, i'm gonna sit on the fence here so i have the most eclectic like yep. like yeah music taste in the sense that i i literally like everything or you know i, I i'm equal i'm not a fan of anything so I, I i sometimes wish i was like i'm not a i'm not a fan of a band or a genre 
you know, there's some that I prefer over others, but I'm not yep. I'm not a fan of anything. And I what what type of music really makes you like kind of be in awe? Maybe that's a different way to frame it. It all. Well, no, but what I do is I match my music to my mood. So I listen to yep. I listen to a lot of rock music, but then yep. rap music and pop music with the kids and Disney music with the kids and you know, like literally anything. But it's matching matching the mood. Sometimes you just want to feel really melancholy, don't you? And listen to, you know, like some Bon Iver or something and, and pretend that the world's falling yeah. down. But it kind of matches your mood at that point, whereas other times you... Yeah. Does music help you feel connected to something bigger? Like what I'm hearing you say is there's there's sort of life is a, a myriad of emotions mm. and feelings and, and I can use music to go into all those different places. Possibly. Possibly. It certainly affects you like, physiologically. You feel it, right? You feel it. Yeah. Oh, I was like, before we got on our podcast, I was, I was like, I need a little jolt of energy. So I put on like my favorite dance song right now, yeah. which I'm not going to disclose what it is. And I just needed to like jump around in the kitchen for a little bit. Yeah. And, and I find, yeah, music, music is a gateway for me into joy and, yeah. and to feel just connected because artists, live music it just it i just am in awe of it yeah there's certain things there's certain things there's certain things i'll tell you what i'll get i'll give you one this is a bit hipster but fred again the i guess you call him like dj producer okay. fred again he's got quite like how would you describe it like in it it's like house dance music but it's quite ethereal like quite big mm, and when you listen nice. to that he's got a couple where they've recorded whole live sessions so it kind of just you know it's just an hour of continuous music and tracks and you can get a bit lost in those yeah you can get a bit nice lost in those. Yeah. well yeah i mean my i i love music out of the uk mm. and it started way when i was young so is fred again uk he's british based? yeah yeah, there we go. Yeah. I there think he's go. actually like a aristocrat of some kind, which I didn't know till very recently. But yeah, apparently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> very good. Yeah. Well, Matt, thank you. I'm so glad that our our worlds intersected this year in 2023. Thank you for coming on the podcast, and you know, wishing you all the best in in 2024, wherever your pursuits take you. And hey, maybe you'll be like HR thinker of the year for 2024 as well. Uh, yeah, maybe. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Pleasure. All Thank right. You Thanks much. again for coming on. Cheers. Having Matt on to kick off 2024 was definitely intentional. Talking about well-being and resilience. My hope is that he and I were able to give you a few things to think about, to reflect upon, so that you can bring some new perspective or maybe elaborate on a few threads that you'd started in 2023. But in essence, I hope you leave this conversation recognizing the important role that you play as a leader. And while you might not have the most senior position in the organization and sometimes feel like you may not be able to impact change throughout all levels, a lot of little things can add up to big changes. And I'm going to send you hope and inspiration that you can make a difference. You can make a difference by the way you treat people, how you co-create, and how you can tune in and be attuned with where your team is at. 
I thank you for tuning into this episode. I hope we'll see you for many more. I'm looking forward to bringing lots of uh, more incredible guests to you. Please let us know what you think about the episode. You can either send me a DM, you can comment on the, the platform that you listen to, and please like and subscribe. Thanks so much for being here with us and wishing you all a great day. 